Hello and welcome back to Love at First Screening, the show where I, rom-com enthusiast Madison, usually introduce my friend, co-host, and resident genre skeptic Chelsea. That's me. To all the feel-good. Cliché. Romantic. Questionable. Hilarious. Occasionally humorous. Films she's never wanted to watch. However, in order to give her a bit of a breather this week, we did not watch a rom-com. Instead, we are going to make one out of a movie that is very much not a rom-com. Welcome to the Rom-Com Respawn bonus episode. Chelsea, do you feel like you have a bit more of a breather in this episode? Do you feel like this is a moment that you've been waiting for? I'm of two minds. I'm very excited that I got to watch a movie that was not a romantic comedy. And mostly, I think, trying to transform a 90s vampire action movie into a romantic comedy is going to be a lot of good fun, in theory. Although, I feel as if I'm going against my own principles by trying to create more rom-coms when... I would like to actually have less of them in existence. So, (laughs) but as no one has funded this project, maybe we're safe. It's all hypothetical. We can all feel good about this is just in good fun. I don't know, Chelsea. I actually reached out to the proposed recast Instagram DMs and they're on board. They're so ready. I think we could get greenlit as early as uh, late 2023. Wow. That's ambitious. It is. We're going to have to throw ourselves into hustle culture. Do you ever think, you know, we're a few years post uh, graduation. Do you Mm -hmm. ever think about what we're doing in relation to the things that we thought we were going to do? I mean, like, I'm sure everybody, like, I'm not saying we're, we're not special, but my literature analysis skills are now being used for a podcast in which I just tear rom-coms to shreds. And on the one hand, that amuses and delights me but on the other hand I'm like is this the best use of my time I think the answer is still yes but (laughs) I would argue that it's a great use of our time I do want to ask if the student loans were worth it Mm, yeah maybe we thought that we would be paying thousands of dollars back to the government for an overpriced education I don't know with something that is fulfilling, but also paid because I find this to be very fulfilling. But uh, despite the number of sponsors that we claim to have, they don't pay us, which I guess we get paid in exposure. Although, Chelsea, I do have to say that I don't think that our blue cheese olive deal with Sarah Michelle Geller has generated any revenue for anyone involved in that. No one's using our promo code for the olives. No one's buying them. Maybe nobody likes olives. I think people pretend to like olives, but do they? Yeah, it's kind of like that thing that I know a lot of English majors do, but also just a lot of people in general, where someone will bring up a book that you feel in your heart you should have already read because it's a classic and everyone has apparently read it in either middle school or high school or college, and you never were assigned this book, so you never read it. Like, I've never read The Fucking Catcher in the Rye. Mm, mm -hmm. And I won't. You can't make me. I won't do it. But if anyone ever brings up Catcher in the Rye, I'm just like, yep, that's a book that people have read. Definitely. I don't want to admit that I haven't read it. Although now I have. I've never read uh, Lord of the Flies. 
Nope, haven't done that one either. I have no intention of ever reading it. I did read a sapphic retelling of The Lord of the Flies. And in the past, when I've read retellings of stories, I try to read the classic. Uh, But in that one, I was like, "Ah, it's fine. I don't need to. When other classes were reading Lord of the Flies, the class that I was in at the same level and everything was reading a separate piece. Have you ever read a separate piece, Chelsea? I have not. However, I was in a very small five-minute short film for an English class because my partner had read that book. I read a different book. I don't even know what book I read. But she wanted to make it about a separate piece. So that exists somewhere in my Google Drive. Maybe I'll show it to you. I look forward to it because I feel like that short film could be leagues better than the book. And if anyone is offended by, if that's your favorite book for some reason, one buddy, there are so many other books that are way better than that. I was originally mad at the end of Kate Chopin's The Awakening, um, which, have you read it? I have not. Okay, spoiler alert to you and everyone. Uh, at the end, she just kind of, like, abandons all of her responsibilities to her husband, to her children, and she just walks into the sea and drowns, and that's the end of the book. That's a whole-ass mood. When I first read it in high school, I was so mad. I'm like, she has all these obligations to all these other people, and she's just abandoning them to go drown in the sea, and now I fucking... <laughs> I get it so much. So I want to take back any shit talking that I said about that book, but I will never stop shit talking a separate piece. Look, there's honestly the classics I have read. I like barely remember. I know I've read The Great Gatsby more than once. None of it has stuck. Why more than once? I don't know. I don't know why I read it more than once, but it wasn't my decision either time. I know that much. So yeah, once is enough for me on that one. It's not even a long book. No, but I both times I was like, why? Surely there's other, you know, look, I'm since we're already off on a tangent right at the top. <laughs> all I'm going to say is that, you know, I wholeheartedly believe that there are value in these classics if you're studying like an evolution of literature. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the value of them independently, I don't think they're any more valuable than contemporary works. So I, there are there are contemporary works that talk about the same social issues. There are contemporary works that have similar themes. So why is it that there is a group of people that insist on reading the classics when the assignment and i'm saying that in full hand quote scare quotes assignment uh, is more about an independent book like i i totally understand if you're a literature student and you're studying how did we get from like how did this genre evolve that makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense to me to go back and read classics and to read weird underground literature that probably people haven't read but that's a yeah. different animal than a high schooler reading to kill a mockingbird which I also haven't read. I have read To Kill a Mockingbird. But anyway, that's look, that's my two cents. But there are a lot of people that get up in arms. And honestly, the people that get really 
pissy about it and like, oh, kids don't have to read these books anymore. Like what happened to the classics? These are people that haven't read a book since high school and they're now yes. like 55. It mm -hmm. always, they, these are not people that are, are reading current things because if they were, they would not be upset or scared for the state of education because of the books kids are reading. In fact, they would be really excited. Like, the things being written now, we're writing about things that are happening now. What I mean, yes, there are things we're going through now that we've went through 50 years ago, but there are things we're going through now that we couldn't even conceive of 50 years ago. So read, mm -hmm. read widely, and but like you should be reading contemporary work. That look, okay, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get off my soapbox, but that's that's what I have to say on the subject. <laughs> so I don't feel I don't feel bad about not having read some of these classics because honestly, I've read other things. It's the same people who are shitting themselves over cursive in schools, you know? Oh, yeah. They're like, how will they sign their name? How will they write a check? I'm like, who the fuck writes checks anymore? Mm-hmm. Like. And they act like, you know, the style of cursive writing hasn't evolved since its creation. I bet that most of them couldn't even read much earlier documents that were technically written in a cursive style. I bet they'd be like, I don't know what the fuck that says. It looks like fucking hieroglyphics. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I had a coworker once bitch about the fact that nobody knows how to balance a checkbook anymore. And I was like, yeah, because nobody writes checks anymore. And also mm -hmm. I have an app that tells me in real time what I've spent, which is more accurate because I've established on this podcast many a time that I suck at math. And I made my middle school bridge building company go bankrupt because I'm that bad at math. <laughs> we had to build bridges out of toothpicks and some stupid person made me the accountant, which was the worst decision anyone's <laughs> ever made. We went bankrupt in two days. In two days. Okay, so we just thoroughly confirmed that Serena will handle our accounting once we do have sponsors. Yeah. Do not, do not ask me to do math. Perfect. I beg of you. It's for your own good. It's not me being hesitant to do the math because I don't want to. It's genuinely for the respect of our, of our business. Well, speaking of respecting our business, Chelsea, should we tell them what we're watching this week? Yes. We watched the 1998 film Blade starring Wesley Snipes and Chris Christopherson. I told you via text before we started recording that I had a special fun fact for you about the director of this film. And I've been waiting with bated breath. I'm so excited for this moment. So as you said, Blade is a 1998 superhero film directed by Stephen Norrington, who is known for The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and the film Chelsea wishes she could bleach from her brain. Do you know what movie I'm talking about? Is it Return to Oz? It's Return to Oz! Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. We were literally just having this conversation at dinner two nights ago. And I, I and and I don't remember what the question was, but it was it was a hypothetical. It was like if you could basically pay to wipe a a movie from your brain what would you and we were specifically talking about rom-coms but i said no 
I'm not going to waste it on a rom-com, even as even with something as terrible as Never Been Kissed. No, I said I would like to bleach from my brain the 1985 film Return to Oz because it is terrifying, and I don't understand how that was made for children. It is a sequel to The Wizard of Oz. I can't believe this. Oh, my God. It's a sequel to The Wizard of Oz. So Return to Oz stars Feruza Bulk, who people will recognize from The Craft, cult classic, as she's a kid. So Dorothy goes back to Oz. There are these terrifying things called the wheelers that have wheels for feet. The antagonist of the film can take off her head and put on different heads. It is terrifying and i i don't know how they got away with marketing it as a film for children and that is who directed this film Uh, that is that's terrifying but you know what here okay while that's terrifying maybe he should have been directing adult fantasy action horror ish movies the whole time he should Mm -hmm. not have been directing movies for children Correct. I think too, there were some, I was, I was talking about this film with somebody, it came up because I was actually talking about the outsiders and how terrible the death scene in the outsiders is. We talked about this with another group, uh, comparing the outsiders death scene to that of what was it? The season two finale of the OC in which Marissa shoots Ryan's brother Trey and they play the infamous song mm, what you say <laughs> that then SNL did a skit called Dear Sister and that has like Kristen Wiig and Andy Samberg and Jason Sudeikis I think mm-hmm. and also no it wasn't Jason Sudeikis it was um oh uh, uh Bill Hader Bill Hader And I think Shia LaBeouf must have been the celebrity host because he was in it. Uh, Please do yourself a favor and watch these clips on YouTube. That is all. Yes. Uh, But I brought up how terrible these death scenes were. And they were like, oh, well, you know, there's no better death scenes than the ones in Blade and Blade 2. Because Blade 2 is gorier than this. But there were some damn good death scenes, like when they shoot the vampires with the anticoagulant and they like bubble up and burst and explode. Or when the flying bat skeleton things fly out of the purebred vampires. That was that was pretty good death scene. I also liked how they um, didn't just do the stab to dust part. You see like the full dissolution of the body. You see the skeleton go into dust. So... Good death scenes in this movie. But uh, this is based on the Marvel Comics superhero Blade, uh, which pulls from Balkan folklore. And as you said, the film features Wesley Snipes as Blade, Chris Christopherson as Whistler, and Inbushe Wright as Karen. Uh, Blade was noted as a dark superhero film for its time, sort of along what we would consider to be more of like a DC style now. And that makes a lot of sense because the writer of the film, David S. Goyer, actually went on to write for the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight Rises. So you can kind of see the parallels there. 
But Blade was noted as a dark superhero film, uh, as well as being Marvel's first successful film, set the stage for further comic book ad- film adaptations. So basically the MCU owes its success to Blade and I guess Kevin Feige. But the plot details a pregnant woman attacked by a vampire, which causes her to go into premature labor. The doctors are able to save her baby, but she quote unquote dies. 30 years later, the child has become a vampire hunter named Blade, who is a human-vampire hybrid uh, that possesses the supernatural abilities of vampires without any of their weaknesses, except for the requirement to consume human blood, which he curbs by taking this serum. That It's kind of unspecified as to what's in it or how it works, but that doesn't matter. Uh, and Blade ends up raiding a, a rave club owned by the vampire Deacon Frost, who ends up being our antagonist, and police uh, take one of the vampires that gets badly burned to a hospital where we are introduced to hematologist Karen Jensen. The vampire escapes, and but not before he attacks Karen. Blade ends up taking Karen to his safe house where... She is treated by his friend Abraham Whistler, who just goes by Whistler, played by Chris Christopherson, and Whistler explains that he and Blade have been waging a secret war against vampires using weapons based on uh, their elemental weaknesses like sunlight, silver, and garlic. Later, Blade learns that Deacon Frost wants to command a ritual where he would use 12 pureblood vampires, because you can either be a pureblood vampire where you're born as one, you can be turned into one by being bitten, or in Blade's case, you can be a half vampire. And his plan is to take 12 pureblood vampires to awaken the blood god La Magra, and Blade's blood is the key. Meanwhile, Karen manages to synthesize a vaccine that can cure the infected, but learns that it will not work on Blade. She is confident, however, that she can cure Blade's bloodlust, but it would take her years of treating it. Eventually, Frost and his men attack the hideout, infect Whistler, and abduct Karen. All of this leads to Blade realizing that his mom's still alive, a ritual is performed, Uh, Blade is drained of blood, and then he drinks from Karen. Frost completes the ritual and obtains the powers of Lamagra. However, he is later injected with multiple syringes of an anticoagulant, which causes him to inflate and explode. And then Karen offers to cure Blade, but instead he asks her to create an improved version of the serum so he can continue his crusade against vampires to avenge Whistler. So that's the whole plot of Blade, sort of. I cut out some bits. Well, you know, how do you how do you capture everything, really? You're not wrong. Uh, Chelsea, I think that you kind of liked this movie. It had some good funny bits, mostly with Chris Christopherson. It was just a good 90s vampire movie. I think that it was probably a little bit more action-focused and a little more gut-explody than you would normally seek out, but I think that it's fine. I think that it's just a fine movie. Before I answer this question, what what do you think I watch? Like, what do you think are movies that I like watching? I just assume that you mostly watch movies about, like, pirates, gay women, gay pirates, gay women pirates. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe just, like, more fantasy aligned in general. I don't know. Lots of pirates. That's all I'm picturing. I do love pirates. This is true. And would love a gay woman pirate story in which they have a lot of sword fights. Like that seems 
right. <laughs> that is like we've pinned exactly what I want to watch at all times. Okay, um, perfect. But the reason I ask is because you just said it's a little more actiony and gory than you would normally watch. And while the gore is something I can kind of leave or like take or leave, I, I, I don't have a problem with gore. It's not necessarily something I enjoy. Like, ooh, this movie's gory. I must watch it. But I like action movies. Um, <laughs> so I had a fucking fantastic time watching this. <laughs> I don't know. There were. Mo- I guess it's just me projecting because there were some moments. I find this happens a lot, though, especially in the superhero genre where they have a good action sequence, but it lasts like twice as long as I care for it to. Like the rave scene could have probably been over in about half the time, in my opinion. So it's just mm-hmm. moments like that where I'm like, ugh. but maybe you like that. Maybe you wanted it to be longer. No, no, no. I, I mean, I, I'll agree. Look, I'm not saying this is like the perfect like movie or by any means, but I had a fun time watching it and I enjoyed it. And it's funny. We obviously he is a superhero. That's not necessarily how I would pitch this movie to someone because yeah. I would be more focused on the vampire aspects. I, I love vampires, uh, which I don't think should be a surprise to anyone who's listened to any of these episodes, because I'm pretty sure I have mentioned at least once in every episode, my undying love for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And although Buffy is not a vampire, that show obviously has a lot of vampires in it. Just as a quick sneak peek to our next episode, not to give too much away, we did have a question about potentially creating drinking games. And I think that for the pod, you should take a shot every time Chelsea mentions Buffy. Mm, Yeah. So I'm promoting alcoholism. Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mention it a lot. I think about I think about Buffy every day. Is that sort of like how every American thinks about Abraham Lincoln at least once a day? What? <laughs> That's a new girl reference. Schmidt says at one point <laughs> that every American thinks about Abraham Lincoln at least once a day. Okay. Okay. I thought that was like a legitimate fact you pulled out. <laughs> and I was like... No. That's a bold statement, but okay. I mean, I assume Americans think about Abraham Lincoln more often than they think about, like, Coolidge. I don't even know his first name. You know what I mean? I was just trying to think of a president that you probably wouldn't think about every day. Calvin. Calvin Coolidge. See? We got that at the same time. Nobody's thinking about Calvin Coolidge every day. (laughs) (laughs) But back to vampires. Mm -hmm. Love Buffy. I watched... The Vampire Diaries, when it was on TV, I've seen, like, Underworld, Van Helsing. Uh, the, I love va- I love vampires. I watch, of course, we know I love gay things. I watched First Kill, which is based on a V.E. Schwab short story. And I love V.E. Schwab, so of course I watched that. I'm not saying that's the best vampire thing, but <laughs> I watched <laughs> it. Um, yeah, I, I love vampires. So I honestly am shocked I didn't see this because... This came out right around the time, like, some of the other things I've mentioned, like, in that same era. So I'm surprised that I never saw this. But I will be watching the other two movies. Mark my words. I haven't seen the third, but I have seen Blade 2. It's a bit gorier. It's just that the vampire things in it are much creepier. So I think you would like it. 
No, uh, in Underworld, not to just spoil it, but if you haven't seen it by now, whatever. But the guy at the very end, one of the main vampire guys, they slice and it looks like nothing's happened. But then this line appears on his face and then half his face just slides off. Uh-huh. And for what and this shows you how long ago I like was watching this movie. I had it on my iPod and <laughs> you could you used to be able to put uh movies on your iPod and I loaded mm. that I had on my iPod and I used to turn it upside down cuz it the screen didn't flip so then I would watch his face fall up. I oh. uh, that entertained me a lot. I just loved to watch his face fall up instead of down. Do you ever talk to your therapist about this? No, I actually kind of forgot about this until just this moment. So, but my my whole point here is love love vampires, and I don't mind gore. I also I, I was really interested in the lore of these vampires because any mm-hmm. vampire story you watch, and and really any uh monster creature movie that you're gonna be watching, there's a whole canon, and the rules are always different. Like there there yeah. seems to be like consistent ones but they're always slightly different like obviously sunlight always seems to be a thing uh Mm -hmm. most of the time it's deadly but in here it seems as if they can use sunscreen as long as i mean they're not really in direct sunlight but you know so i thought that was that was i got a kick out of that but you know in other films it's like no you're definitely dying i mean in buffy you've got vampires like using sewer systems or like the hilarious scenes where Spike's like under a blanket running from shadow to shadow <laughs> yes. and he's like steaming. Or the the episodes where he's driving a van that everything is completely blacked out except for a little hole in the windshield. You know, it's funny you should mention that. And I, I'm mad because I don't remember what this movie is called, but it might be called Daylight or Daylighter. I don't remember, but... Uh, it's like a futuristic movie where all vampires have basically taken over. They have cars where they like can turn on like an electric or like a digital screen to see mm-hmm. out of the window during the daylight if they're driving. Like I remember that being a thing that the vampires had. Daybreakers. Daybreakers. Okay, there you go. Yeah. yeah I knew it was something like that. Yeah. Anyway, I so I was I was really interested to see because, uh, you know, obviously, like I said, everything's different. So in this movie, like there's vampire familiars, which mm-hmm. uh, you see uh, if anybody watches the FX show, What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, uh, so good. Yeah. Uh, obviously, vampire familiars are a thing there. Uh, garlic is another consistent one. They make a reference uh, in What We Do in the Shadows to blade when Nadja opens up her nightclub because they have the blood sprinklers but they end up malfunctioning mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so okay so vampire familiars garlic mm-hmm. silver is another one and silver is one that sometimes it's vampires and sometimes it's not i know silver is another thing for like werewolves uh uv rays sunlight uh, mm-hmm. I thought the guns were fun because in Underworld, they have UV bullets that they put in guns and shoot the vampires with. And that's Incredible. a thing. Um, I didn't, I or at least I would, the stakes all seem to be silver. They don't really seem to use wood. But yeah. I know that in other shows, like Vampire Diaries, they had like wooden bullets mm-hmm. in things. So like, I don't know. It's just really fun to see what people do with and how it, you know, relates and 
Um, the regeneration thing was interesting in this film. Yeah. Uh, obviously, depending on what you're watching, vampires are more or less durable um, if they're hurt. Uh, so the regeneration thing was really interesting. I liked that. And I really like the like ancient lore. Uh, obviously love Buffy. They spent a lot of time researching these ancient things and mm-hmm. the prophecies. And then, you know, they joke that they're the Scoobies helps them solve the mystery. So, you know, I, I liked that aspect of this. The purebloods versus that was interesting that a vampire could be born. I can't yeah. think of another movie at the moment. Um, well, I guess First Kill, um, which is a newer one that's on Netflix. That's the V.E. Schwab short story. They're born. Well, some of them are anyway. I will say that the Wikipedia for this refers to Blade as a dampier or a dampier, however you want to pronounce it, which is the half human, half vampire hybrid, which you actually see in a Vampire Academy if you ever read those, because there's the Maroi who are the purebred born as vampires. There's the Dampir, which are the hybrid, and there's the Strigoi, who are turned into vampires, but are more primal, evil, bloodthirsty. So you see, and I was like, oh, look at my middle school and high school hyper-focus just really come into play here. Yeah. No, it's like, it's really, really fascinating. Um, And obviously if you, I have a book on vampires uh, and it separates it by continent. So it's stories about vampires from around the world and it talks about the mythology. The one I can think of off the top of my head that I know what it's called is a Filipino a vampire called an Oswong and they use that on the TV show Grimm. I don't, I don't remember what channel that was on if you ever watched it, but he's like descended from it. the Grimm, like it's what the Grimm fairy tales. Um, mm-hmm. But I know that there's an episode where they deal with the Oswong, um, which is really interesting. So yeah, anyway, th- look, cool. it's very cool. I love vampires. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, and look, it, aside from the vampire aspects of the film, it is a very 90s action film. One of the things that I immediately clocked is, like, the long black leather coat mm-hmm. that, like, I mean, Madison, I, I I know I was supposed to. I still haven't watched The Matrix. That's okay. I think it's okay, okay. that you haven't watched it. Okay. I, I hope that our special guest that we're trying to get on doesn't hear that because I think they'd be really disappointed. I, I told that person I would watch it, and I still haven't. Anyway, you know what? Like, Maybe as an incentive to get them on, you'll promise to actually watch The Matrix. Maybe we'll buy them a monogrammed duster. I don't know. We don't only when, if we are getting paid sponsorship at that point. Yeah. But like, so Blade is dressed. My point is Blade is dressed like Neo mm-hmm. and also like Kate Beckinsale's character in Underworld. It's it's a very it's a, a very distinctive silhouette that I think they used. I mean, even mm-hmm. Spike wears a long leather coat. I mean, yeah. not that that's specific to vampires and Buffy, but it's definitely like a nod to, you know, some of these things. Uh, but yeah. that I mean, that came out around the same time. So anywho, I just think it's really interesting. Uh, I thought that was funny. 
Um, obviously, there are some things in the film that like you're not gonna like, but it, look, if you go in thinking this is a late '90s action flick, you're gonna have a good time. I just don't yeah. understand how you couldn't. And there were definitely really funny things that I think caught me off guard because it's definitely an action movie, so it's not mm-hmm. what I was expecting. This isn't an action comedy. It's just that these moments of levity that happened, like I was really caught off guard. So, oh yeah, I mean, just the existence of Whistler. He is one of the most prolific and greatest songwriters of contemporary music, and not only that, uh, he is also in my top three artists of people who should definitely write songs but never fucking sing them. Tom Petty is included in that list. I love Chris Christopherson's songs. He should never sing them. Terrible singing voice, that man. But in Blade, he was fucking hilarious. I also really liked towards the very end um, when Blade is defeating Deacon that he looks at him and goes, some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. Iconic. So yes. Surprisingly funny. Also when Blade has to fight the child when he's among all of the... When he's in the vault looking at all of the vampire historic texts uh and there's just a literal like young girl in there and he looks at her like i will help you and then she just tries to kick his fucking ass amazing i think we should have more young women doing that that'll defeat the patriarchy Mm-hmm. but did you have a favorite funny part two of the ones that i like just that are very subtle uh after the bloodbath rave mm-hmm. um the one guy the redhead guy who's Quinn's minion. No, his name is Quinn. He's Deacon's minion. The guy Quinn, he, he like shoots the silver piece at him and it stakes him to the wall. And Blade just kind of gives a like fist pull, like, yeah. <laughs> like that was very funny. Yeah. That was, it was very funny because he's very serious. He's got the dark glasses on. And so it just, it's like a moment of levity after the, like this really long action sequence. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought that was really nice. Also towards the end, Quinn, because he regenerates, which is also what kind of starts all of this because that's how Karen gets bit and and everything. Uh, But he, Quinn has Blade's sunglasses. And then when he gets Quinn at the very end, he catches the sun the sunglasses and it's very funny it, it like there were all these little moments like that that are just they're really good yeah. in an action movie like this so i i appreciate it but yeah there were no there were lots of obviously chris christopherson was very funny whistler's great um but yeah it was like they, there were these tiny things at moments that you really wouldn't expect there to be a joke. Mm-hmm. And it also a lot of these are if you blink, you might miss the thing that's happening. Right. So, you know, keep your eyes open, people. <laughs> Just don't blink the entire time you're watching it. So, Chelsea, we started out this by saying that we were going to make this into a rom-com. Because it's clearly not. Absolutely not. Mm-mm. How do we take this movie that you seem to have truly enjoyed and ruin it for you? Mm, mm, mm-hmm. Reverse engineer a rom-com, mm-hmm. you say. 
Well, I think what we need to do is we need to start with the criteria that we judge rom-coms by to determine if they are a rom-com. We have three. Do they date is the first one. Uh, So we need moments in this movie in which whatever pairing we're putting together are able to come together and connect. And then did we laugh? So we need comedy. I think comedy's here. I think there probably could be more comedy. Mm -hmm. If we're making this a rom-com. But I think that... I don't... I actually think this is the easiest. I already think this movie's funny. So I think that you can just add more of what it's already doing. I agree. So I don't really think that that's too difficult. And the last one being is love in the driver's seat. The love is not driving this movie. No. It's not even in the rear view. No. mm -mm, It's not. So that is going to be, I think, the biggest challenge. So with those criteria in mind that we need to kind of put that in this film in order to make it a rom-com, I guess my first question is, who is the romantic pairing? I think there's an obvious choice, and I have a little bit of a curveball for you. Oh, snap. Because I was, I was going to go with the obvious choice. I think Blade and Karen, uh, she's really the only character that I feel like could be brought forward for that. But I'm really intrigued to how you're gonna how you're gonna spin this. Look, I'm not the only one that loves an enemies to lovers plot. <laughs> so I think that we should put Blade and Deacon together. <laughs> and look, I know it's gonna be a lot of work because there are things we have to address in order for this romance to to actually be viable. But I'm just saying I think I could see it happen. Alternatively, alternatively. We'd have to change the perspective of the movie and possibly rename it, but Deacon and Quinn could be together. <laughs> That's it's really funny that you point this out because I had like I have a little mini proposal typed up with like twelve different parts, twelve little tweaks, and tweak number one is strip out the plot of Deacon Frost entirely. Incredible! Incredible! Because I I want to point out that if we're pairing if we're pairing Blade and Deacon together, the issues that arise are vampire hunter versus vampire, like as a as you know a pairing. That's been done before, so it can be done. Uh, but then we also have the whole part of his mom, which basically makes Deacon like his vampire dad. No, because um, Deacon mm. was the one who bit his mom. Well, look, I, that's one of the things that I wanted to roll my eyes at in this uh-huh. movie because there was zero reason for it, especially because Deacon, as he exists within the story in every other respect, didn't also need to be somehow the reason that Blade exists and his mother's murderer like it just it just didn't need to be there also with the fact that I know this is a trilogy like there are three of these movies that could have been a driving force for another movie they so you can drag that out like he's killing all of these vampires to sort of take revenge on behalf of his mother uh for her you know get vengeance for her death but it just didn't need to be Deacon and that was one of the things that kind of pissed me off 
I, I feel like sometimes in these movies they try and create the perfect villain. But honestly, and by perfect villain, I mean a villain that like completely encapsulates all of the evil. And to a certain extent, I understand that uh, impulse on behalf of writers. A lot of times these films, the the bad guy represents something an idea, if you will. And so if you give that, if you put all of the bad into that one character, then we want to root against that character. But I love a villain (laughs) where you can either understand their motivations, you might not agree with their actions, but you understand why they're doing what they're doing. And so you're not necessarily rooting for them, but you like them as a, like, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I think a really good example of this is Killmonger uh, Eric in uh, Black Panther. Because essentially, he and uh, Nakia, who is um, Lupita Nyong'o's character, want the same thing. But the motivate, like how they're going about it is very different. And so you don't agree with, that's Michael B. Jordan is Killmonger. You don't agree with him. Like you don't agree with his methods, but you can understand where he's coming Mm -hmm. from and you can want the same result he wants but be like you your methods are wrong and i don't i don't want this right and that's sort of the main conflict in that whole movie and then i mean not to go off on a but like t'challa is in the center like not really making a choice and so eventually he has to kind of anyway we're not going to go off on a black panther tangent but i think that he's a really good example of this right and so those are the villains that are like oh yes because that it that's what makes them a good villain like i don't want a villain to be completely evil because that's not fun at all like i want to be a little sad when they die yeah that's what i want in a villain i want to be a little sad because the sadness comes from if someone had intervened earlier or if they had been taken under the wing of person x instead of person y maybe things could have turned out different for this person Mm -hmm. right that's delicious in a villain. It is. Okay? So this is why I don't like that they make, because they just were literally like, just make Deacon evil. And Deacon also, this whole pure bloods, vampires ruling the world, kind of reminds me of X-Men and Magneto. And Magneto's mm. another kind of like, he's the villain, but is he the villain? Like, you you get what he, you're just like, mm, you know what I mean? And that's another more complicated thing because I think there's more you can say about, uh, oh my God, I'm just getting very excited, but I love villains. <laughs> and I, <laughs> there's no good villains in a rom-com. That's, maybe that's why I don't like them. I was about to say, I think that's why you don't like rom-coms. Yeah. I guess my point here is, I think what I'm imagining, and this wouldn't really work, I, I acknowledge this without changing a lot, is I think if you have a love story in which... Deacon and Blade are going about things in very different ways. I think the more interesting story, which is not a rom-com, is that Deacon does eventually go off and make really bad choices, and so you're not going to root for him. But think of the delicious, like, emotional trauma (laughs) of him having to, like, kill his love. I don't know. I I might be very twisted, but I, ooh, that feels good. That's that's a great villain because you don't it's like you you don't want him. You don't want Blade to have to have to kill the guy, but he has to, you know, (laughs) 
So I don't know. I also I feel like I've put a lot of ideas. I'm just I'm I wish we had a board. I wish really wish this episode we had a visual and we can cut at things out and have a storyboard idea going. I mean, we can create one before this launches and post it on social media. Yeah. So here's the thing. I'm fine with Karen being the love interest, but I think how do we make this interesting? Because if we're going to make this a rom-com, it better be a good one. I don't want it to be a shitty have-assed thing. So, yeah, please tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really, I fucked up. This is the 90s, so. (laughs) I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. First things first, we're going to strip out the plot of Deacon Frost entirely, which means that we're also going to strip out the return of his mother completely because it was grossly incesty. Yep. We're going to bring Karen to the forefront. We're still going to have her in same as in the beginning with the same arc of getting bitten after the nightclub incident, but have the nightclub uh, raid be just a routine sort of hunting that Blade does rather than it being part of his tracking for Deacon and have him be really dismissive towards her and reject her attempts to help with his vampire hunting. Like we keep everything to where he takes her to the safe house, uh, helps cure her and everything, uh, or she helps cure herself. And once she's cured, Whistler is like, wow, she was able to figure this out. I wonder what else she can help with. And have Blade be really dismissive of it and be like, well, she just needs to get out of town. Like, there's nothing more she can do. And just kind of try to cut her off and blow her off. And then uh, have her and Whistler work on shit and, like, cut up together. So they're actually, like, a really fun dynamic duo. Uh, Because I could honestly just have, like, a ten-minute montage of them together. And then have her come in at the nick of time on one of his hunts to save his ass and prove to him that she's super useful and she, maybe she's been like training with Whistler or something like that not just creating weapons and that sort of thing or serums that sort of but she's actually physically training as well and then have them argue about how it was too dangerous for her to be there and have her be like I saved your fucking ass and then have them angrily make out And then have her after that be like, you need me. Admit it. I make your life easier. And then you could cue an amazing mutual Slayer montage of them cut with her working on weapons and serums with Whistler. And then I have two potential sources of conflict. The first is that we could have a conflict. Because again, this is a rom-com, so the conflict can't have any serious repercussions. It has to be resolved pretty quickly, which you don't necessarily see in an action flick like this. Uh, And it it can't have much bearing on the story in a truly traumatic way. So, number one, you could have a conflict that has Whistler getting in a pinch, but he's fine because she helps save him. And have that moment be the moment that Blade confesses his love for her. Because she saves the only family slash father figure that he's ever known. Or, alternatively, you can keep the scene where he bites her because his serum runs out like mid-fight or something. And have an arc where he's racked with guilt. And she has to convince him that she's okay. And this can be solved by her perfecting the serum. 
that fixes his thirst. And then in the final scene, you have them kicking ass together and then arguing over what's for dinner. I like this, but I think you've just written an action romance rather than a romantic comedy. That's we fair. Romance has to be the driving force of this. And in order for that to happen, I think that probably the easiest is to have this be an established relationship. Maybe she's kidnapped. He has to go get her back. I also feel like instead of him being this uh, like current vampire hunter, maybe he, you know, hung up his crossbow, so to speak, <laughs> his uh, cool S-blade things, you know? Mm-hmm. He wasn't going to do it anymore. She was working on a serum for him. He's just going to be human. He's going to take a step back. He's like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. But she gets kidnapped. So not only does he not have the serum, but the love of his life is gone, taken by his mortal enemy, and that brings him out of retirement. So then the f- driving force of this movie is, although I still think that's a rom- uh, an action romance. I still don't think. I don't think that you can take the action completely away, but what if you made it? No, 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 no. There doesn't, there doesn't need to, no, no, no. Obviously the tone would be different, but what I'm saying is in an action movie, it's the action that's driving mm-hmm. the plot, like the quest for something. Rather than a rom-com where the romance, the getting the characters together or having the characters admit they have feelings for each other would be the driving force of the plot. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to figure out how we get from Blade to romance Blade. What if we make it camp? Okay, I yes, yes, but how, how is love in the driver's seat in a camp blade i still think that okay what if what if she's actually the only surviving daughter of whistler like she's at a sleepover Mm. that night she's not home this horrible tragedy happens and then it's like uh she grew up because he picked a blade up when he was like 13 right You could have them be approximately the same age and have it be like, um, it turns out that they grew up together and then it turns out that they love each other and he can tell her that he doesn't want her going out and slaying with him. She's hanging back trying to work on serums and weapons with Whistler because he loves her and he wants to keep her out of harm, but she doesn't want to. And so his attempts to not only slay vampires, but also keep her out of the crossfire comes out of his love for her. Okay, but what is the plot of this movie? She ends up also becoming a slayer against his wishes with him and they fall in love while also slaying vampires. Like they come together. He comes to realize how much she's grown up and how capable she is and falls in love with her even more as time goes on. So it's like childhood friends to lovers arc. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's, let's, I feel like I need to, I need, I feel like I need a piece of paper and I don't have one. Okay. So we're going we're going to try and create mm-hmm. a childhood friends to lovers plot. Yes. Okay. 
with Karen being Whistler's daughter. Yep. They grew up training together as kids. Her focused on crafting of weapons and cures and serums aspect. Him using his vampy powers to take down and his human strength that makes him invincible to the things that would stop a vampire. Basically, he can be in the daylight. He's immune to garlic and silver and things like that. Okay. Fast forward to present day mm-hmm. where Blade is... Okay, I actually think you need another You need another scene. Okay. okay. Either get rid of or... I don't know. Because if we're getting rid of the, the mom thing, do we need the bit at the beginning? I don't know. It's explaining the lore. So... I guess you have the beginning, he's 13, whatever. Then I think you need to have them as, like, 18, 19, 20. Mm-hmm. Maybe they, it's clear that they both like each other, but Blade's very resistant to letting her train with him or uh, doesn't want her to go out mm-hmm. uh, and get hurt. And then we need a, a, a split. They need to go separate ways. Because I think what they needs to happen is for them to rekindle, and he can't know it's her at first. Oh, oh, okay. So she becomes this badass vampire hunter. He's unaware. I have a thought. Okay, what if she goes off to college in another city, and she ends up realizing that there's a huge vampire population in that city, and she has taken it upon herself to help rid that city of vampires. He gets noticed that a vampire that he's been tracking is there. And then they run into each other and he realizes that it's her. And I want her to have created a like lesion of vampire huntresses. Yes. I want some badass woman energy Uh i don't want her to be the lone wolf i want her to have a whole gaggle of vampire hunters what Mm -hmm. if she joined a sorority and then turned the sorority into vampire hunters okay so we have a sorority of vampire hunters and she's sort of the leader She's like the the head of this sorority. And they're the perfect bait because they go out to nightclubs and they would blend in perfectly. That's actually, yeah, you're right. Okay, okay. So I like where this is going. Okay, so Whistler's daughter in a sorority in a different city. So Blade and her have been separated for three years or so. We'll say she's a senior in college. Okay. He goes to the city that she's at college in. There's because there's a vampire problem. Mm-hmm. A specific vampire he's been tracking because maybe they're okay. prolifically turning others into vampires. Okay, great, 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 great. So he's going to track and he goes to this club and mistakenly thinks that one of the other sorority sisters is a vampire, discovers that she is, in fact, hunting vampires he's confused he gets hurt and so she takes him back to the sorority house at which point karen comes forward and now they're meeting and he's like what are you doing and she's like i can vampire hunt as good as you can 
you might have preternatural strength, but that doesn't mean that we can't also hunt vampires. Also, it kind of is makes no sense that there's only one person in all the world hunting vampires. That just seems asinine, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and yes, that was me poking fun at my favorite show. Anywho. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it just one girl in all the world to stand against the darkness and vampires? I don't get it. Anywho. It's a metaphor for the patriarchy. They're going to have an argument. And the other sorority sisters are going to see that, okay, these are old friends. Also, there's a lot of, there's some sexual tension here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, maybe you guys should just kiss. And then they're going to pool their resources to help find this prolific vampire maker. And in that, we will get our dates. We see them growing closer together. He is softening to the idea that she, you know, she can do these things and he needs to get his head out of his ass and he's not the only person that can do this. He was literally taken under the wing by somebody that doesn't have his powers. So perhaps, you know. Ooh, and what if the vampire, because I guess we could reintroduce Deacon Frost pretty well at this point. He could be the one who is being tracked. Then we could introduce the idea that Deacon Frost knows about Blade's connection with Whistler and his daughter at that point and kidnaps Whistler to try to draw them out. Because that gets both of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they have mm-hmm. an argument about her not going. Yes. Okay. Because even though he's come a long way, he's still... Because at this point, he loves her and he doesn't want to see her get hurt. And he knows that if she's in danger, he'll hesitate and it could put everyone else in danger. Mm-hmm. 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 Incredible. I think that I'm still questioning whether or not romance is the driving force, but I really like this movie we've come up with. I know. It's so good. It's like a campy action vampire romance. I'm obsessed. Okay, now I have ideas for casting. Okay, great. I'm really looking forward to this. I have two for Blade. Two potentials. The first, if we're going for more of like a Wesley Snipes build, Anthony Mackie. Okay, okay. But if we're not, Shamar Moore. I like both of these options. However, as we've just stated, they're younger than in the original Blade. That's true. So may I counterpropose John Boyega. I would love nothing more than for you to counterpropose. Yes, so my proposal is John Boyega. Perfect. Then my proposal for Karen is Zendaya. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> yes. That'd be so hot. You, I love Zendaya. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then for Whistler, I put forth Kurt Russell. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kurt Russell. Okay. Just because he matches the Christofferson vibe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, and I hate to say this, but I'm, he'd be pretty, I think he's kind of, is he too old? He might be what? To be. Norman Reedus? Ooh. Is he too, I don't think he is. Actually, I think, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, yes. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Norman Reedus. Okay. Amazing. And if we're reintroducing, like, the Deacon Frost character, I have an idea. 
And I put forth Bill Skarsgård. Okay. Yeah, that could work. That could work. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I'm so mad that this movie doesn't exist. I'm writing this down so I don't forget. <laughs> I love it. Okay, now we need to cast some of these sorority sisters, which okay. are just extra, like icing Ooh. on the cake. Um, Haley Kiyoko has to be one of them. Oh, yes. Okay. Florence Pugh. I always say Florence Pugh, but I want her in everything. It's not my fault. Zoe Kravitz. Yes. Yes. I want the one that he thinks could be a vampire to be Madeline Klein. She's most recently in uh, Glass Onion, the new Knives Out movie, but she's also in Outer Banks. I feel like she has the good sorority vibes. Okay. We need some that look really unassuming. Like maybe Elle Fanning. Sadie Sink. (gasps) Yes, definitely Sadie Sink. Ooh, Shay Mitchell. Okay, yes. (gasps) Jodie Comer. (gasps) I love Jodie Comer. Jodie Comer would kick so much vampire ass. You know what? I think that's our cast. I think we have too many. There will be sorority sisters in the background, but like we can't have this many. The budget like, won't allow. I think absolutely Kaylee Kyoko. Absolutely. Actually, how old is Zoe Kravitz? But you know what? I just think Zoe Kravitz. Yeah, Zoe Kravitz. I just think Zoe. Yeah. Okay. So we have Zendaya as Karen. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have Haley Kyoko. We're gonna have Zoe Kravitz. Absolutely. Shay Mitchell, uh, and I think definitely Sadie Sink. Oh, what if instead we have Jodie Comer be like Deacon's right hand woman and have her because she plays such a good bad guy? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're absolutely right. You're God, the fact that this movie doesn't exist and I can't go and watch it right now just pisses me the fuck off. It should be illegal. So that's. Four sorority sisters plus, obviously, Zendaya. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good number. And obviously, you would have others that might have one or two lines. Right. Maybe. Because sororities are large. But we can't have a cast that big. That would be way too much going on. For your cameo and my cameo, what do you want to be? I think I want to be a bartender. Mm, I was going to say the same thing. Oh, my God. Could we be like a bartender dynamic duo? Mm-hmm. <gasps> you know what? Maybe Blade comes into the bar trying to suss out some stuff and he comes up to the bar and like one of us is has shaking a cocktail shaker and he goes, hey, and he asks a question. And then we both just go back and forth, sort of like the old men in the Muppets. Okay. Yeah, just briefly to sort of give him the skinny on everything i think that would be very fun this is so exciting listeners please write in on what role you would like to play what cameo you would like to have in our new adaptation of blade which is now a rom-com of sorts and uh is nothing like the original source material no i really hope that some comic book fans don't find this and just shit on it If they shit on it, 
they're just looking to shit on something because we've said up at the top what the assignment was. The assignment was to make this a rom-com. The assignment was not trying to rewrite Blade for the heck it's of true. it. It's true. We came in with a goal and by God, we fucking met it. So with our new plot, they do date. We do laugh. And come hell or high water, somehow love is in the driver's seat. Okay, here's the thing that we need to ma- actually make this a rom-com. The driving force, the the... There needs to be some reason that they need to be together. Like, so for the fact that this is action oriented, there needs to be some Deacon is up to some shit and whatever it is requires or like to thwart him or rather maybe the he either Deacon needs the two of them to be together and that's what's driving them apart. And they need to figure out how to get rid of them so they can be together and not have the bad thing happen or them being together allows them to thwart Deacon. But that is the ingredient, I think, that allows it to be that, like, love is driving the plot. Like, that's the important part of the plot. Like, without that, you're not going to have the same story. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a, a tweak we can make to the story we've already written. Damn it, Chelsea. We made Blade into a rom-com. You know, I was really nervous that it couldn't be done. And look, we have a cast. We have a plot. What else do you need? What, a script? We could write it. Imagine that we get to the end of, like, season three, and the bonus episode is just us with guests that we've had on doing a round table of our new Blade script. That would be incredible. Oh, my God. I would love for us to get big enough that we can actually have John Boyega and, you know, Zendaya there with us and the other incredible cast to read it goals and then at that point we've already basically handed hollywood an incredible new movie i mean and marketing wise they're gonna look at the the views for the podcast and they're gonna see that there there definitely is an audience people will watch this film and so then they'll just make it gosh it'll be like printing money exactly so psyched and then you and i can retire to Iceland? Yes. With our goat farm? And our haunted lighthouse. And our greenhouse full of books. Our greenhouse library. And our our sheep all named after different cheeses. It's too Gouda to believe. It really is. Too Gouda to believe. Oh it hurts being having it repeated back. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm just going to repeat your bad jokes back to you from now on. You know what, Chelsea? It's like negative reinforcement, <laughs> and then you'll just stop. Well, you know? Chelsea, did you hear the other day that Will Smith actually got lost in a snowstorm? It's okay, though. They found him pretty quickly. They just followed the Fresh Prince. Would you like me to repeat that to you, no, Madison? Please. I don't think I could handle it. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Chelsea shaking her head in almost like a like a motherly irritation. You know how moms of toddlers, like really well-behaved toddlers, when the toddler fucks up, the mom will look at them and just kind of like lift one eyebrow and shake her head a little bit, and the toddler snaps into like perfect routine and becomes a golden child again. That's what Chelsea's head shake is. May I propose one fix? 
to the movie we've just absolutely i think so much creativity has to go into this that a lot of times when we recast things we're doing a very one-to-one type of casting it's true and i think we were too short-sighted i think jody comer should just be deacon (gasps) oh yes oh my god yes and if you want jody if you want deacon to have a little blonde boy toy then we can give her that. What if Jodie Comer has a himbo sidekick? I love that idea. Perfect. Great. What? If, what if you cast Joe Keery? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> he just has such oh. strong himbo energy. Yeah. Yeah, I think that we'll have Jodie Comer as Deacon and uh, her himbo sidekick will be Joe Keery. This is incredible. I like it. I was so excited for this. I can't wait for it to come out. Coming to a theater near you in 2025. I think we can do it. All right. Actually, what am I even talking about? Nothing comes out in the theaters anymore, so... It needs to be, we need, we need a good streaming platform, like a Netflix or. I want it to be Hulu. Amazon. Hulu? Yeah. It could be a Hulu movie. Yeah. Look, we're headed that way. When was the last time you went to go see a movie? That's all I'm saying. Fuck. Um, the second Black Panther movie. Yeah, I can't remember what its official title is, uh, but the second Black Panther movie, that was the most recent thing that I've seen in theaters. Before that, I did watch Don't Worry, Darling. Uh, but that was just to see Florence Pugh and Harry Styles on a large screen. Okay. Well, Chelsea, we did what no one thought we would be able to do. We did the impossible. We made it possible. Look, I- I'm still a little skeptical about the rom comedy, the rom comedy of this movie we've created. But I we've written a movie that's that's very different and incorporates rom romance and comedy in a way that Blade does not currently. Mm-hmm. So we've given the people something great to imagine and beg some studio to fund. Perfect. And then pay us. We've done the heavy lifting, people. I don't know what else they would want. I would say that it would have a watchability score of four. Definitely a four. I'm 4.3 at least. I don't want to give it a full five because it's, I don't want to give something that's full camp a full five. Mm-hmm. But we got a star-studded cast. It's gonna be a watchable movie. God. Now, what what do we give the original Blade, the source material, if you will? Oh, I would also give it a four. Yeah, I would give it a four. I think it's a pretty damn watchable movie. I think the only thing that knocks it down is it has some pacing issues, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. There are parts where it just goes much, much slower than it needed to. Because, I mean, once at the point that Whistler gets attacked, you still have a good 45 minutes left in the movie. So I feel like it could have moved a little bit faster. But I don't think that it really hurt the watchability of it that much. It just gave you more opportunities to go get popcorn and maybe take a peek. Yeah. All right, Chelsea. Well, this is the last movie that we're watching for the season for this year. It is. It is. Next week, we will be reminiscing about all of the movies that we watched this season, debating 
the highs, the lows, everything that fell in the middle. And hearing from the listeners that wrote in, sent us voice messages, telling us we were amazing, telling us we got something wrong. And I think it'll be a good time. After that little palate cleanser, we will be back for season two on February 1st. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at Love at First Screening, where every week we have a poll related to the film that we watched. Vote and tell us whether Jude Law or Jack Black was on your Christmas list. And may I just say I'm very disappointed with the people. Because it wasn't Jude Law and Jack Black. It was Graham and Miles. And Miles was the correct answer. That's very true. And Madison, you voted incorrectly. <sighs> Look, I was blinded by Jude Law. Less so I... <sighs> Chelsea, I have to be completely candid with you. If I wanted one of those two to stuff my stocking this holiday season... I stand by my decision. If we're playing a game of fuck, marry, kill, (laughs) I would marry Miles. And we would kill Jasper. Absolutely. If you would like us to watch a rom-com, or alternatively, if you really loved rom-com Respawn with Blade, you can write in and let us know about a movie that is absolutely not a rom-com that you'd like us to transform into one next time or a rom-com that you would like us to watch and discuss on the pod and you can send in those requests to loveitfirstscreening at gmail.com or send us a dm on instagram once again we are love at first screening we are here every wednesday talking about all the rom-coms you love love to hate and everything in between. So, until next time. 